I think we all instinctively know that most people either don't work in the career they want to work in or they don't work in the place they want to work that career in. And there's weird things about that. Why isn't culture so important to teams when everybody knows it's what drives a great work environment? And why do we stay when we know it's not right for us? We never leave soon enough for various reasons. That's what we're going to focus on today. Not so much building a great culture because we got plenty of other podcasts about that, but really examining if you're in the wrong culture, why do so many people stay? And maybe you have to, maybe you think you can't get out. So we're also going to talk about some things of how do you survive in the wrong culture and not lose your mind? We're going to talk about that right now. It's time for the Leadership Lifestyle Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Leadership Lifestyle Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Stress, and I know whether you're starting a small business, you're a solopreneur, or a leader in a large company, you need to collaborate with people. I want to help you make those collaborations fulfilling, productive, and as profitable as possible. So every Monday morning, we'll drop a new podcast episode to do just that. So let's get into today's discussion. Welcome back, everybody, to another Leadership Lifestyle podcast from across America and around the world. So good to have you back with us. And today, we're going to examine how to survive in the wrong work culture. And that might sound like a negative thing or a, a uh, why do I got to put up with this? Or are you telling me I'm going to be stuck here? No, I'm not really talking about that because the fact is most people aren't where they want to be. And whether that's in their career or where their career is at, they're just not where they want to be. The, the evidence is overwhelming of not being satisfied. And a lot of times when you want to try to get out of a, a bad culture, a bad place to work, there's so many things keeping us there that we just kind of put up with it. And we're almost kind of a, as odd as it sounds, a slave to our paycheck because, well, we need our paycheck, but we, we give up certain things to get it. So we're really going to get into how, how do you stay in that environment, not lose your mind, and really do plan on how do you move forward? How do you get to where you want to be, or at least in a better place than you are now? So we're going to get into that. Because the good news is now the workforce has kind of changed a little bit. It's changed to favor value. Now, don't get me wrong. There's still plenty of companies out there that are dangling carrots and have high demands. And you know, you got to be a certain person to be on our team. And it's all about them. I get that. I know that still goes on. But really, you're seeing a huge shift, especially we talked about last year, the great resignation and how people with the pandemic are kind of picking and choosing where they're going to work or how limited, in, at least at this time period. So we're we're talking in the fall of 2021, how limited talent is right now, how hard it is to fill positions. So it's kind of like if you think about it, like real estate, is it a buyer's market or a seller's market? Well, right now it's a buyer's market for work. You're the buyer, you're the person that's looking to be on somebody's team. The seller would be the company. And a lot of times in a seller's market, they think, well, we could just pay you X number of dollars or it's just a privilege to work here. So you should just do that. Well, it's really kind of a buyer's market. You you get to choose more about how you're going to work and when and where. And 
that's all value based. That's what they're really paying for now. If you think about it, not really necessarily on technical skill. It's more about who you are, what you bring to the table, what kind of value you bring. So that's what they're willing to pay for. So that's a good sign that that's happening because the grass is always greener on the other side of the septic tank as the old saying goes. So when you don't like something, a lot of times you're really not sure what is better because honestly, until you're in an environment, you really don't know how it's actually gonna go. And it's the same thing for those of you hiring other people, no matter what's on their resume, what you've heard, how well they interviewed, you really just don't know. Both of you are taking a gamble whether you're hiring somebody or you're trying to be hired or you're trying to switch teams, both of it is really a huge gamble on what's really real. What is what is really happening? And for, for, for us, when we're trying to really decide what is our career going to look like? What, what do we want to pivot to? Especially in this day and age of creating your own personal brand and the multitude of things you could become monetizing things you never thought about before. And an old saying goes, you're not really paying me for the time it took me to do the job. You're paying me for all the years it took me to figure out how to do it efficiently. So just because I do it in 30 minutes, does it mean you should pay me hardly anything if I'm good at it? I know I kind of botched that a little bit, but that's kind of the gist of it. So when you think about where am I going to transition to? What, what would I do differently? Or how would I even do that? Sometimes you got to think about your calling or your why, as Simon, Simon Sinek says, is that really just a passing daydream or is it real? Are you constantly, because this is important because when you get in an area of stagnation, whether you feel like your career is stalled or you're just in the wrong place, there's no growth opportunities, no leader, no development going on, that kind of thing. Or the, maybe the culture is just bad. Maybe it's toxic and you're like, this is... Even if I could advance, or, or maybe the level you're at isn't necessarily toxic, but above you looks like a disaster, looks like a nightmare. Like, I don't want to be involved in that. So a lot of times we just start thinking about different things to do. Oh, it'd be so cool to go do this. It would be so cool to go do that. And you really have to caution yourself about, are you really looking at your why or your calling or does it just look good? Does it just feel better than what you're doing? And so you just think, oh, I'm just going to go do that. And it really, when you examine it, it really becomes more of a daydream than an actual tangible goal that really would satisfy who you are or what you want to do or what your talents are. And another thing you have to ask yourself is how much is your sanity and principles worth? When you think about, you get to a point where you're pretty well paid, things are covered, expenses are taken care of. You're not like super rich. I'm not saying that, but you're comfortable. You're, you're okay. And you just kind of stay in that mode. But you think about what did it take to get to where I am now? When you think about the hunger and you think about proving your yourself and maybe you needed a promotion or two or something like that but you finally arrive at this place where you're you're okay you're comfortable and does that make you complacent does that make you well you know uh, it's not that bad I'll just kind of put up with it but really at the end of it all you're kind of selling yourself short a little bit whether it's your sanity or or your principles you're kind of kind of giving it back a little bit because the real thing is it's just like why are so many work cultures bad when it's actually super easy, especially for leaders to do it right. And you're thinking, well, you know, I had a podcast last week about soft skills and things like that and how much better it is once you start having a great culture, when you want to generate excitement, when you want to generate people doing 
more and reaching for more, it's actually easier when you have the right culture in place. And you, as a leader, you feel better. But the, the data doesn't show that. The data doesn't show most companies have a great culture like that. Uh, we, we have a lot of great productive companies great productive departments, but I'm talking about real good behavior-based cultures that really drive the team forward. Why is that not normal? So last week, we learned everything we needed to know in kindergarten to do all that, how to treat other people. But somehow between then and whether you went to college or not, or you just became part of a business, maybe you started your own business. Well, how did we lose that? It's actually easier to do things like that. So I wanna share an article with you. I actually wanna share two articles with you real quick. I'm gonna put all these links in the show notes. And this is an article from the Society for Human Resource Management. And it talks about a a study done by the Conference Board, which is a a global independent business membership and research association. So back in June of 2012, 40% of Americans were satisfied with their jobs. And the last time that it was a positive number with 52% 52% happy with their jobs is 2005. So when you look at, by comparison, more than 60% of Americans say they're satisfied with their jobs in 1987. So why the drop from 87? Think about that. More than half were just were fine with everything. What was so different about that? And it's going to be interesting to dig in some of this stuff of, of number one, why are they unhappy? But number two, why do they stay even when they're not happy? So this article is much longer. Obviously, I'm not going to read the whole article to you, but I'll have the links in the show notes again. You can take a look at it. But one of the things they noted is that some employees stay with an organization because of job security and job conditions. They feel safe, in other words. And in a sense, they're kind of being held hostage by what they are getting from their employers. And that's not a winning equation for business. And, and again, you you fall into this this false sense of security as, as a business owner because you're thinking, oh, I'm paying him enough. Everybody's happy. Retention is good. Turnover is down. But are they really engaged? Are they really happy? And this study shows that respondents were most disengaged because they don't think there are job opportunities out there in the recovering economy. Well, obviously right now that's not the case. They don't, they just don't like change. They're comfortable where they're at. Like I said earlier, just comfortable. They favor job conditions such as flexible hours or a smaller commute. And by comparison, most engaged people who stay, they like the work that they do. They believe their organization's mission they have significant career development or advancement opportunities. Well, those are, that's engagement. That's not willing to stay or be satisfied. And one of the other things they found is focus on helping employees find meaning in their work. Make sure your high performers are getting what they need in terms of challenge and growth development. But I wanted to bring that one up because that article is 10 years old. You don't really see a lot of differences even today other than the one of the disengaged of being afraid they can't find jobs. Right now, they're all over the place. You can't stumble across them. You can't miss them. But everything else is kind of true. And that article is almost 10 years old. And then I have another article here from the Harvard Business Review of why employees stay, especially when things aren't going well. And one of the things they pointed out is the viewpoint of a company's policies on employment and turnover, the reasons why people stay in their jobs are just as important as the reason why they leave them. And that's the one missing piece that they had is they got so focused on why they leave them They never really dug in to why they stay, which is a huge difference between engagement and satisfaction. And so here's what happens is the approach 
tends to assume perfect correlation between job dissatisfaction and turnover, meaning that if they just fix that, what dissatisfies them only, that they would stop leaving. And that's your classic quit and stay because it's safe, it's comfortable. It's not driving you so up the wall that you're dissatisfied, so you're staying. But now you just got a bunch of people that aren't super engaged. Or you think about what Chris McChesney at Franklin Covey always says, that satisfaction and engagement are not the same thing. So they, they were so narrow-minded and just focusing on, if I just make them not dissatisfied, the turnover will stop. And that's not exactly true. So why do a lot of employees stay? Employees tend to remain with a company until some force causes them to leave. In other words, it's okay, it's good, but until something really significant happens, they'll stay, they'll put up with it. It's just too much of a hassle, find another job. What's on the other side of that wall? We're really not sure. So all that job security kicks in, all of that kinds of things. So they just kind of focus on, well, how do we kind of make them satisfied, which is not the same as getting them to be engaged. So does it matter whether an employee stays for job satisfaction for environmental reasons? Well, yes, because it makes a significant difference to the company whether an employee wants to stay or has to stay. And there's a lot of that going on. You get to a certain level because inevitably what happens, and a lot of this kind of relates to how you manage your finances, things like that. And that's a whole different topic. You can you know, talk to Dave Ramsey about that. But oftentimes, you know, as our incomes grow, we just kind of absorb it as it goes. We get bigger houses and better cars and more clothes and take more vacations and all that's kind of natural. So you get in this point where it's like, well, between money or between you've you've moved up so much in a company, you don't think you can do that anywhere else. So you're just kind of stuck. And there's a huge difference between the want to stay and the have to stay. And how does a company reinforce the right reasons? Companies can do this by providing conditions comparable with employees' values for working and living. And that is a culture statement. They don't call it that in this article, but that's exactly what that is. It's what is the environment they're working like is what's important. And when we talk about why dissatisfied people stay, they found that employees who said, I don't like my job or I don't enjoy working with my supervisor, they stay primarily for maintenance and, and environmental reasons, mostly related to financial and family responsibilities. In other words, and this is 100% true, it's a lot different if it's just you by yourself. You think about becoming an entrepreneur or working on commission. I'll tell you the most stressed I've ever been in my life is working on commission, but having a family at the same time because you work, 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 and you try to close all these deals. You do the same amount of like work each and every day, but sometimes you don't get paid for it. Sometimes deals don't go through. And the people, you know, your family sees you go off to work every day, but then you don't bring up some of your paycheck home. And it's like, how does this happen? And that could really wear you out. So when people get to a point where they're, they, they need a certain level of, of financial income and there's other people depending on them, yeah, you can't just stop what you're doing and go start a, another business doing something else and hope it works out. So there's that factor driving all of that. So obviously working toward retention like why do they stay is is some of the key here um, because the problem is some of the managers habitually concern themselves 
with turnover, and it's hard to break that habit, that managers have to stop the rituals of finding why people leave and start investing in resources in the positive management of retention. Like, why should they stay? There's a big difference in your company or any company if you're talking about, well, here's why you know nobody leaves us. Here's why you should never leave. That's, that's, that's like dangling carrot stuff. But then it comes down to, well, why should they stay? And it's kind of a little different conversation of what they're really going to get out of it. So here's an interesting statement when it talks about a new work ethic is emerging in the society. If organizations resist recognition of the change in values for working and stick with a single approach to people, retain the concept of the average employee and continue to snap the golden handcuffs on them, meaning the golden handcuffs are future money, stock options. Oh, here's what you could get later. So you got to stick around and you don't know if those things are going to happen. It says the new generation might not even enter those organizations, but create its own or take over existing ones. And present employees who are locked in and turned off may seek third party intervention for guarantee to the right of their job, meaning unions. So everything I've talked to you about in the past five minutes or so, this second article, and especially the last thing I just said, this article was written in 1973. It's 48 years old. And they're just, and, and so think about that. 48 years ago, they were talking about how the work society, the work ethic was changing away from just the workaholic for a paycheck thing and really started for the first time digging into what does it mean to have a good culture? What does it mean to provide the environment they want to be in, not have to be in? And then it talks about the new generation might not put up with that. They might go do something different. And when you think about this is the 70s, think about the, the 80s and 90s and the real explosion into entrepreneurship, they were dead on. Or you talk about present employees, if they can't get on their own what they want, well, they're going to have to have some representation like a union. And I just thought that was so interesting. These last two articles, one's 10 years old and one is 48 years old. But at the crux of it all, it's really not that much different. Like I've said before, you think about, you know, I, I said before, you think about Dale Carnegie, how to win friends and influence people. That book's almost 100 years old. Principles are principles. They work forever. So when you think about some of these articles, although they're quite old, and you say, how do you equate, you know, our workforce today to back then? Well, they were talking about this back then. And those companies that did these things that pivoted are the ones that really truly benefit from it. So let's get into some of the things. Let's just, just put it on the table of the things that are just really, when you're in a bad culture, when you're in the wrong place, the things that really happen. And it's important to identify these things, even though they're gonna sound super negative and it's like, wow, this is a really bummer. This section is probably gonna bum you out. But identifying them so you can deal with them mentally as they happen is one of the things that's really gonna help you get through that. So when you think about as the leader and really kind of as the non-leader, if you're just an employee, not a leader, it's the same thing. But when you think about people who've quit and stayed, that's probably the leader's worst nightmare. It is so hard to do anything with that group of people to motivate them to expand and grow and become something different. And even for that person working there, they might think, ah, you know, I don't have to worry about that. I'm not in charge. But as a human, when you know deep down inside, you're phoning it in, you're you're just getting through the day, but not really accomplishing things. Sooner or later, that's going to wear you down too. So don't think just because you're not in leadership, that doesn't really bring you down. Or, hey, if you're a leader, don't look down too much on that person when they're thinking that they quit and stayed because I'm telling you, you really got a good conversation with them. You'd realize they probably don't feel good about themselves either. So that's really the leader's worst nightmare when it comes to their team is how many of them quit and stayed. Or the next thing that happens to the leader is you, you lose your own identity, either positive or negative. And what I mean by positive or negative is when you 
just fall into the inertia and you don't protect who you are, regardless of what's going on around you, that you become a different person. You stop caring about things you used to care about and then you try to act happy so you look like you're engaged, you look like you're motivated, but you're really not. You're really not that person and you're faking it, but you you kind of lose who you are because you're, you're letting what's around you dictate how you think and it really sinks in and you become that same employee who's quit and stayed, but you're doing it on a leadership level. And that's worse because you start having thoughts. Like I never forget a, a person I was working with one day, we got to talking about something and the conversation kind of went off in a direction where, you know, well, if I got to work somewhere else, whatever. And then, the, then he said this, this is what stuck with me. He says, well, I was looking for a job when I found this one. Now imagine, of course it was just like a, a little quip to, you know, just say something, but imagine if that's how you really felt every day. Do you really think you could come in and perform at a high level if that's what you thought every every day that, hey, I was looking for a job when I found this one. I can find another one. You really can't because every option looks great when you don't have an option. They all look good. And when you're thinking about something else, I've said this before, but when you think about, because I'm a private pilot, I fly small airplanes. We have a saying when you're talking about flight planning and you're thinking about going flying is that takeoffs are optional, but landings are mandatory, meaning you could take off anytime you want, but into what environment? What is that look like later. So you have to do a couple of things here. And probably the number one thing you can do is your EQ has to become a superpower for you. Like I was saying before that you kind of start to lose your identity. You fall into that inertia. You let all the bad things start controlling who you were and you never wanted to be that person. And you really have to make your EQ a superpower and control the kind of thought pattern that's coming in and out of your head. And you have to accept that as the reality and have a pre-plan for that feeling and what to do with it. Because the bottom line is something's going to get to you so deeply that it does change your mindset. And you have to go somewhere and unload all that and get rid of it and, and understand when that feeling starts to bubble up, the things that trigger you. But the problem is they control you when that happens. And you've got to be able to be strong enough, mentally strong enough to avoid that, to, to set that aside. And it's a hard thing to do when you're in a very bad environment, but you got to turn your EQ into a big superpower like that. So let's move forward to a little bit in a different article. And this one is by staffsquaredhr.com. And again, the link is in the show notes. And this is from December of 2019. So the last couple of articles were 10 years old and 48 years old. And this one is fairly recent, a year or two ago, still kind of pre-pandemic, but um, points out some, some much newer information. And it's titled, Why 85% of People Hate Their Jobs. 85%. And this is a, a global poll conducted by Gallup uncovered that out of the world's 1 billion full-time workers, only 15% are engaged at work. And that means 85% are unhappy. So you can look at these numbers a little differently. Just because only 15% are actually engaged doesn't really mean 85% hate their jobs. Although you could easily argue they wish they were doing something else. But is that them or is that the work environment? Whose fault is it really that that's happening? So just because, I don't know that you can actually say 85 are unhappy because some people who aren't engaged, it's kind of a hard thing to say. Can they really be happy at their job and be unengaged? I don't know, but it's... It certainly doesn't bode well, no matter how you slice it, that that many people don't really favor what they're doing. And of course, 
the, the typical culprits drive all of this. The type of boss you have, the type of colleagues you have, the type of work you're doing. Do you feel like it's mindless and it doesn't matter? If your company doesn't point out it matters, it might feel like it's totally worthless. The commute, how long are you in your car? Like how many hours do you work a week? Well, a lot of us answer that question of when we're actually in the office is the hours, not the commute, not the other things we do. And the last one is stagnant growth. And I, man, this is the one for me. I, man, if I got to do the same thing for a long period of time, and by that, I mean maybe two to three months, I do not perform well. I got to have something new, some kind of new problem, some kind of new angle to a problem. Even if it's just that. If I don't have that, man, I am done. So I have got to have it. So what keeps them from leaving? So according to this article, it talks about responsibility. In other words, you got to make the mortgage. We talk about adulting. It's You can't just job hop just because you feel like it or work someplace six months and say, oh, screw it. Especially if you have other people depending on you, you have spouse that they're got an income and you got an income and you have your finances going. And of course, children add to that. Um, and then you start buying things and you're responsible for making payments and it just it builds and builds and builds. You have a responsibility to make that happy. And a lot of times you got to tell your, your personal unhappiness to your career to take a back seat. People often worry about lack of job opportunities. Uh, can you get the same kind of job they had? You know, they talk about lack of job opportunities in their field, in their area, especially like when we talked about the responsibility part. Now you got a mortgage, you got all these things going on. You, there may be a fantastic opportunity three states away, but they don't want to pack up and move. They can't. They want to pull the kids out of school. Like I said, the, the spouse has their job. So you can't, unless you can replace that. So you got all these competing factors. Uh, another one's fear of being wrong. A lot of people worry about the decisions they make are wrong. They think that something is going to go bad or they will fail before they've even started. And it's fear of trying anything in the first place. Again, they're comfortable. Fear of the unknown. They don't know what's out there. That is there something better? Do do I deserve something better? Who am I to ask for more? You know, I hate the phrase imposter syndrome, but that's kind of what creeps in. Or one another thing most people don't think about seniority complex. In most companies, it's kind of it's hard a lot of times to come in at a higher level than you were. And a lot of times you have to start over, start at lower levels, prove yourself, and move up. And there, there's some benefits that obviously for the company, like they really know you can do it, but that kind of creeps in. You get to a certain place in your career at a certain company and you're like, okay, there's no way some other company's going to hire me at this level. So you're comfortable where you're at and you don't want to start over. Now, those are some good reasons for that. Again, that article link is in the show notes so you can check it out. So importantly, to end this, like what can you really do? What are the tangibles? So we think about this and I was talking about somebody about Zoom calls and meetings and how at the end, there's always this recap and all that is is repeating what was said. So I'm not going to recap. What I'm going to do is say, here's four things you can focus on that you can do because we all know it. We all know the stats and sadly, most people either work in a job they don't really want or at a place they don't really want to be like the culture's not right. They're not a fit or the culture's not good all, all together. And that's the majority of people. So here's four tangible things you can do. So number one, get this thought out of your head. But my critics control my destiny, don't they? You think about who your boss is right now and the other people around you who don't see the value in you. And they are the critics in your head that you think you can't do more because they either tell you that flat out, some places they just tell you, or they never tell you the good stuff. They don't tell you your value. So you automatically assume that there's no value. Again, in, in the void of good information, it's always filled with negativity. 
So if somebody's not telling you you're a value or you matter, you're going to assume you don't matter. So number one, you have these voices in your head of your critics telling you you can't do it. And that's controlling your destiny because you're letting it. So number two, you got to break the cycle, especially in leadership. So how you're being led is not the way you want to lead. Well, that's up to you to break that cycle and not lead your people like that. And that's super hard to do. And that's what I was talking about earlier, having an EQ as a superpower to convince yourself to do that. Because when you don't, your thoughts become your behavior and your behavior becomes your identity. So no matter how you really think about things, it's who you ultimately become is how you're judged of what kind of person you are. Because I've seen this a hundred times where somebody goes through this you know, negative environment and they blame it on that. Well, then they get sucked into that and they become that negative person. And then later down the road, they're trying to do something, trying to get promoted or whatever. And this comes up. Well, yeah, but you're acting like this because again, your thoughts became your behavior, became your behavior became your identity. But then you Saying, well, yeah, but this place doesn't care about this or that, or look at this other manager over here. They're not like that. And you start blaming all these other things, but because you went there in your behaviors and it became your identity, well, now they get to say, well, yeah, but now you're doing it too. So don't let that happen and be aware of that. Your thoughts become your behavior and your behavior becomes your identity. So choose what that's going to be. So whether they do anything with you or not, you're still you. Number three, if you if you're finally ready to make that change. Make sure you're running towards something, not away from something, not away from your toxic environment. You really got to take some time to think about where you're going. Again, is your why just a passing daydream? Because it looks better, feels better, or is it a real thing? You have to you have to really figure that out first and make sure you feel like you're running towards something, not running away from something. So lastly, one other thing you can do if you you're not quite ready to run yet, but you still want to be who you are. It's like, well, okay, fine. Do I just wake up every morning and tell myself you're going to be good? You're going to be good? No, no, no. One of the things you can do, one of the best things you can do is find other things to keep your mindset right. So if it can't just happen at work, because if you only do it there, you're probably faking it. Because the reality is people aren't different in different environments because if they are, they are faking it. So if you're a really good leader at work, you're probably a good leader at other things you do. Or if you need some mental stimulation, you got to do other things that are outside of work that keep that mindset right, that curiosity right, whether that's joining groups and clubs or sitting on boards. It could be anything. It could be a Homer Association board, could be a local government board, could be a total volunteer thing. Uh, you can learn a whole new skill that keeps you something you really don't know and you really have to study for to kind of keep your, your educational juices fresh. Do something to invest in you that might not even be work-related because if you get in that stagnant work environment, there's no growth, no development, you will succumb to that if you don't start changing some things up, that you will become that person that you just, oh, another day, another dollar, you, you'll go down that road. I promise you, if you don't protect your mindset to do that. So number one, control the critics in your head. Number two, break the cycle. Don't lead others how you don't want to be led. And remember, your thoughts become your behaviors and behaviors become your identity. Three, run towards something, not away from something. And four, continue to invest in you, even if it's not at work, the things you want to do. All of this stuff is 100% up to you, every bit of it. And it takes a lot of mental fortitude to really planning and, and really just deciding this is the person you're going to be because the, the 
The truth is the majority of people work in places that they'd rather not. And you do not want to lose who you are. You're running down a track in a tunnel toward a direction. And all of a sudden you see a light off in the distance. Is that light coming toward you an oncoming train? Or is that really the goal of where you're trying to get to? And when you start losing your identity and doing everything other people think of you, you lose that. So don't forget, it's still 100% up to you. Thank you so much for joining me for another show. Please share this podcast with your friends and colleagues and start up your own discussions on the topic of the show. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you never miss a show. And check out the links in the show notes and give us a rating so we know how we're doing and five stars would be pretty sweet. So until next week, remember, you know you have to get work done with other people, but how you get done work with other people is entirely up to you.